Welcome back. This week, we've been trying to help you take it off today with some incredible stories of people dropping weight and turning their health around. And this morning, we have another great one, a woman who will give hope to anyone who hasn't been able to find a diet that really works. For as long as I can remember, people have tried to tweak or hack their metabolism through what they eat, usually to lose weight. We all know the story. A new diet comes along and millions of people jump on the bandwagon and then there is a backlash and interest fades again. Most dieters give up their new eating habits within months and their weight rebounds. Now, one diet that's attracted a lot of attention over the years, way back since the 1960s when it came in as the Atkins diet, is the keto diet. This would be a normal meal for me. But you'll eat all this in a day? Oh, yeah. This is a lot of meat. Yeah. And eggs. And eggs. And and, uh, vegetable fat with avocado. Yeah. So I do my eggs. You you know, your avocado is going to be your healthy fat as well as your bacon. Mm -hmm. Bacon's healthy fat. Hmm. Really? Well, it's the fat you need in order to burn Mm -hmm. for energy. Your Mm -hmm. body switches from burning carbs to burning fat for fuel. That diet described there is called keto or a ketogenic diet. It consists of high fat and low carbohydrate foods. Now that means eggs butter, cream, fatty meats are in, while legumes and many fruits are out. The aim is to force the body to use fat as its fuel, rather than our usual energy source, glucose, from carbohydrates. The components of the keto diet fly in the face of the conventional advice about never taking out a whole food group, in this case carbohydrates. Also on the keto diet, you take in high fat, including saturated fats, that we've all learnt over the years to avoid. Those are just two reasons why the keto diet is controversial. It seems surprising then that new research is emerging, arguing that the keto diet can actually be anti-inflammatory and reduce chronic pain. So how can we balance the promise of this diet against its pitfalls? This is In Conversation from Medical News Today. I'm Dr Hilary Geit. This month, we're continuing our series on the importance of nutrition in long-term health conditions. In this episode, we'll be investigating why researchers have become so interested in the keto diet and whether it really has the potential to dampen down inflammation and the symptoms of chronic pain. So, Joining me in conversation to discuss all this is Susan Messino, a professor in neuroscience and psychology at Trinity College in Connecticut. Last year, she published a second edition of her book called Ketogenic Diet and Metabolic Therapies, Expanded Roles in Health and Disease. Professor Messino, welcome. Wonderful to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Also joining us is podcast regular Yasmin Nicholas-Sakai, Global News Editor for Medical News Today. Yaz, hi. Hello again. And later, we'll be hearing from Shay, who's been on a keto diet for many years. Shay has lupus, a chronic autoimmune condition associated with chronic pain and skin problems and fatigue. He'll tell us all about life on a keto diet and whether this has been a successful intervention. Professor Messino, Susan. Can you just kick us off with a brief overview of how the ketogenic diet works? Yeah, so when you have restricted carbohydrates or just insufficient calories, you will start generating ketone bodies instead of glucose. And so your body will be using these ketones 
for fuel and even a relatively short duration of insufficient calories or restricted carbohydrates will start to generate ketones. And usually we don't allow that to progress because we'll end up eating and we have such a food-rich environment that we aren't cycling through this kind of dynamic flexibility in our bodies. I think the best way to think about how a ketogenic diet works is that it works on many different cellular processes and tissues in the body, and that makes it difficult to study and nail down what is the mechanism, but also makes it very powerful in that it has a number of different mechanisms that may be the key set of things in one disorder or another. So basically, it's a low-carbohydrate, high-fat diet, and it has been the centre of some controversy over the years. Can you take us through what you think is behind the controversy? Sure. So the diet initially was officially published in 1921 to try and treat epilepsy because it had been observed when people who had seizures didn't eat, the seizures would stop. But of course, that wasn't sustainable. So it was sort of developed to try and further explore this therapeutic potential of fasting in epilepsy. And even back in the 20s, it was effective in adults and children. And there were some large studies in diabetes, in migraine, in epilepsy. So this metabolic approach was really gathering steam. And then There was a big wave of developing pharmaceuticals for very specific mechanisms. So it kind of got relegated to not as scientific as these more specific drugs that we were developing and have continued to develop. And of course, there's a lot of money to be made in developing drugs and selling drugs. So that was one sort of bias. The other bias has been related to changes in dietary recommendations where fat was basically vilified and it became not only perceived as less scientific, but actually dangerous to eat this much fat. And it's taken decades to sort of try and overcome what was behind losing this important metabolic approach. So what's bringing that approach back? Well, I really credit Jim Abrams, whose son Charlie had epilepsy, and they found in the historical literature writings about the ketogenic diet. They asked about it. They were told that it was dangerous and not effective. And they said, well, our son is on all these medications. He's had surgeries. He's not getting better. And so they really just pushed for it. And that was like the little thread that I think carried this through to the state we're in today, where there's very, very serious interest in a number of medical conditions in general health benefits and and much more. Now seems a good time to pause this conversation and hear from Shay about what it's been like for him being on and off the keto diet for many years. He started by telling Yaz what it's been like to have the autoimmune condition, lupus. I've been diagnosed with this when I was about 17 and it's been with me every year since then, almost daily at this point. And with my lupus, I mainly get hives from it or chronic urticaria, 
that I usually get daily, multiple times a day with it as well. And I tend to control mine with just over-the-counter antihistamines. What's your pain level like with lupus? Do you experience any kind of joint pain or anything or uh, muscle pain? When I have a proper attack with it, I do feel a lot of pain, like burning pain. My joints feel stiff and I feel quite lethargic. You've trialed the keto diet. Yeah. When did you first try this and how long did you try it for? So I first tried it when I was 20 and that one lasted about six to seven months. And throughout the duration of it, I kept quite strict with it, keeping below about 15 grams of carbs throughout a day. And it really showed a lot of progress and helped with me. Have you repeated it since? Yeah, I've done it a few times since then. I would say maybe two more times after that. Do you remember what it felt like going into ketosis? So reaching that tipping point when your metabolism kind of shifts into using fats as an energy source instead of glucose. Yeah. So after the keto flu, I guess, when I passed that stage, I felt really energetic. My body felt a lot warmer than it usually would be. And I felt like I was able to do a lot more things and I wasn't as hungry in general as well. I felt quite satiated, even though I hadn't really eaten much of anything. How was the keto flu for you? What kind of symptoms did you have? Did you have headaches or constipation or any similar issues? Yeah, I had a lot of gastrointestinal problems, just a bit of stomach gurgling, bloating, really lethargic, and didn't really want to do much. Felt like a headache as well. And that lasted for about four or five days. Did you find it hard to follow this diet? Yeah, it was very hard to do in the beginning. Because in the beginning, you just want to eat cake, cookies, bread, rice, anything. And then you have to realize that those are all things that you can't really eat. And you have to switch like whatever snacks you want to try because they most likely have carbs in them. And you have to make your own kind of snack or just have a slice of cheese to hold you down. But then as I did it more, and maybe around the two-month mark, I wasn't worried at all. I was quite accustomed to it and knew what I was going to eat. So you did describe that it did help your lupus as well. But how do you know for sure that it wasn't any other kind of changes in your lifestyle or maybe possibly medication that was helping your lupus? I didn't start the diet to help with my autoimmune disease. It was mainly for health, and this was just a side effect of what happened with it. Before I started the keto diet, I would take about two to three allergy tablets a day. And then when I was on the keto diet, probably at the two-month mark, I wasn't taking that many tablets anymore. It was usually about one a day, and it got to the point where I was taking half a tablet a day, or I could miss a day, and I would still be fine. And... The longest I've gone is about three days without taking medication, and then I would have a flare-up. So Shay, tell me about your pain related to lupus while you were on and off the keto diet. So when I was on the diet, my pain, I could almost feel that it would reduce the longer I was on it. And it wasn't as spread over as it was before. Because before I would feel it in almost all my joints and it would feel quite stiff, but 
the longer I was on the diet, it wasn't magically going away or like I could feel like a huge change, but there was something there that I could kind of notice where I wasn't as stiff as before and my body wasn't burning as much and in a lot of agony over it. Okay, so you've intermittently been on this diet, you've been on and off of it for a few years now. Is there a reason why you're not on it all the time? Because you have seen improvements in your condition. But what what makes you not kind of stick to it? It's definitely, I would say at least, not a diet that you can do in the long term. Because it's not very sustainable. You're just constantly eating fatty foods. And you will get to the, a point where you want to go out for a meal with some friends or you want to go on a date or anything like that. And you can't really get the options for a keto diet out there. So you kind of go back and forth with it a lot. And if you break the diet, almost immediately when I do come off the diet, I have a huge flare up. Personally, I don't think it's too sustainable, but it does for me bring really fast results. Thank you, Shane, for sharing your experience with us. This has been very insightful. <laughs> no problem. Susan, is that a familiar story about pain reduction? Yeah, there are a lot of stories about pain reduction. I actually have one in my own family where my husband's mom was really suffering with some kind of rheumatoid arthritis. And his dad went on the ketogenic diet. He loved it. And I think she felt like, well, if you can't beat them, join them. And so she went on it. And it's really remarkable, the improvement in her mobility and mood and everything. And she almost doesn't see that. She said, oh, I wasn't in so much pain before. But, you know, when you see someone change that much, sometimes they don't even perceive it. And she's dramatically improved. So I want to just address one comment, though, that it's not sustainable and you can't be on it forever. There are people that have definitely been following a ketogenic diet for decades and have not had any ill effects. So I think we need to dispel some of the myths that this is really dangerous or not sustainable or not recommended by the medical profession. There are definitely situations where it's recommended. There are some where it's not, usually genetic metabolic issues, which are very easily determined. But if your friend feels well on it, I don't really see a reason why that couldn't continue. And I would encourage them to find you know, a ketogenic literate provider that could help give them advice. So if we can pick off some of the concerns that have been raised in the literature, for example, the impact on lipids because of the high fat content of the diet. And you said that has shifted, but take us through what the thinking is now. Well, I wouldn't say that the thinking has really settled yet, but there has been a concern that if the diet increases your cholesterol levels, that that would be a hallmark for cardiometabolic problem. I think we need to reevaluate the mantra that cholesterol is the villain in terms of cardiometabolic issues. One of the things I read in preparation for this was that if you have a high-fat diet in the face of low carbs, your body reacts very differently to the fat 
it starts using them. Whereas if you have a standard American diet, then you're having high fat and high carbs. And that's where the danger from fat's coming. Is that what the mechanism might be? Yes. Can you take us a bit through what happens in ketosis when you have high fat, low carbs? Yeah, so that's exactly the issue. It's a completely different environment with high fat and restricted carbohydrate versus high fat and high carbohydrate, which is the environment that most of us are physiologically in most of the time, which is much more pro-inflammatory, will cause you to gain weight. Whereas high fat with low carb, you're not putting on weight. And what's been amazing to me is that this kind of ketone-based metabolism seems to help people who are overweight to lose weight, but it helps animal models that suffer from underweight to maintain and stabilize their weight. So it's not always a weight loss diet. It's almost something that I think through this multiplicity of mechanisms is helping your body to get to its sort of ideal physiological state where it is then more resilient to other stresses that may come in on it. The ketogenic diet absolutely has great mitochondrial energy production. Then you can fend off assaults. So that's the thing that often doesn't get out in the literature when they talk about how high-fat diets are bad. It's really high-fat diets in combination with carbohydrates that have those toxic effects. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you follow a ketogenic diet yourself? I wouldn't say I follow a ketogenic diet. I don't test my ketones or anything, but I do follow a low-carb diet. So I may be in and out of ketosis here and there, but I don't keep track of what I eat. I generally don't eat things that you wouldn't eat on a ketogenic diet, like bread, pasta, carbs, starchy vegetables, desserts, like occasionally, but you know, I mostly eat meat, dairy, low-carb vegetables, eggs. And just coming back to some of the concern about when you're taking out food groups, are you concerned about loss of nutrients? For example, B vitamins, not having whole grains and potassium and from not having leafy vegetables. I do eat leafy vegetables, actually, but... I mean, meat and eggs are like really nutrient-dense foods. There's a lot of nutrients in those. Leafy greens are super nutrient-dense foods. So I'm not actually concerned at all. Um, I read a paper that showed that children on long-term ketogenic diets had lower levels of gut bacteria that protect the gut lining. And we were talking about that on last month's podcast about the importance of the health of the lining of the gut. So if you take away those legumes and the high fiber foods, then the bacteria can start using the mucus around the lining and actually damage the gut. What do you think the impact of a long-term ketogenic diet is on the gut microbiome and the integrity of the gut lining? So that's interesting. I'm not familiar with that paper, but I do want to mention that dietitians actually recommend eating prebiotic foods like fermented foods, pickles, sauerkraut, you know, prebiotic foods like that might be really protective against that possible negative consequence. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to chronic conditions. Yes, 
I know you're interested in the keto diet as a potential treatment. Did you have any questions for Susan? So I, I wanted to ask Susan, so the foods we eat, we use as fuel for many metabolic processes in the body. Do you think it has the potential to treat metabolic related disorders or chronic conditions? Yes. And that is really what I was sort of getting at with talking about the multiplicity of mechanisms that it can address a number of different conditions because it can increase energy production, reduce inflammation. So it has these really short-term and long-term effects. And I think that's the real power, you know, in terms of neurological conditions, there are a lot on the horizon that could be helped or prevented with a ketogenic diet and also more general inflammatory conditions as well. So I think it's a really exciting time, but I think something that's important to keep in mind is this is not a proprietary drug. People could kind of shift their diet on their own focus on whole foods, focus on being healthy, and just try and get their body in a less inflammatory environment. And if they want to have medical supervision for that, of course they could. And see how it goes. Like your friend with lupus, that's amazing. I'm really glad to hear that story. I don't know a lot about ketogenic diet and lupus, but it makes a lot of sense. Yes. Before we go further, looking at keto diet impacting on pain. Can you give us an overview of how inflammation is causing pain in chronic autoimmune conditions? So let's say we've got a cut or a wound. What's going to happen in the area is going to be inflammation. So lots of pathogens are going to rush to the area and then we're going to have lots of immune cells to come to fight off these pathogens. So we're going to have our first line of defense, which is neutrophils, and then we'll have our monocytes and lymphocytes and macrophages and then of course all of them kind of collect in that area and that causes swelling and this kind of produces heat in the area a tingling burning kind of bruised feeling even this is what's physiologically happening in the body but then we also have inflammation mediators like interleukins and cytokines so it's the way the kind of body reacts to all of this. And then if the body can't get rid of all the damaged cells and the dead cells, that's when alarm bells start ringing because the body is like, oh, what have we failed to do? So if the problem there is unsolved, then this manifests over time and it becomes chronic. So chronic inflammation. And then that's very closely related to pain as well because this can kind of set off an autoimmune response. So then the body starts attacking its own cells and joints, for example, like with arthritis or other organs like with lupus. So in a nutshell, that's what's happening. And just bringing this back to keto, how on earth can something you take into your gut manage that complex system that Yaz has just described have an impact on that out in, say, a peripheral joint somewhere? Susan, <laughs> i throw you into this. What could be the mechanism? <laughs> well, I mean, there's a lot of interest now really in the microbiome and how that can influence your body and your brain. But the fastest way to change your microbiome is through diet. So it's not surprising that this would have a rapid 
effect, and that changes signaling in your brain and in your body. A lot of my work has been centered on adenosine, which is a really interesting molecule that is involved in communication between nerve cells. It's involved in energy cycles. It can impact DNA methylation. So really what kind of proteins and molecules are we building and putting into functional systems in our brain? Adenosine is also released during any kind of injury or wound, you know, during that inflammatory process. And that's something that can help with the healing. I want to mention that I'm not a medical doctor. I don't even do research on people. I came to this field through a hypothesis that ketone-based metabolism could increase adenosine, and that could be a way to promote the neuroprotective benefits of adenosine, the anti-seizure benefits of adenosine, and be a way to sort of regulate our nervous system was my real focus. There's a lot of interest now in trying to use these metabolic approaches, particularly ketogenic approaches in mental illness, which all of our neurological disorders are associated with a metabolic and inflammatory component. So you mentioned there the importance of adenosine in terms of being a calming agent, certainly in terms of epileptic fits and reducing the likelihood of a fit occurring and being important for mental health. We've recently done a a podcast where we looked into the mechanisms for chronic pain and understood that there are two mechanisms. One is the secondary pain from something out in the periphery. And the other mechanism is the primary pain where the pain is actually in the brain. And so I'm wondering whether or not there is a, a role for the keto diet in actually impacting directly on the central nervous system appreciation of pain. Is that something you can tell us about? Yes, that is exactly my line of thinking, because almost like A seizure where you have a network that's having inappropriate, like a reverberation of a circuit. That's likely what's going on with this brain pain where circuits are just activated. And that's actually the most difficult type of pain to treat because there's nothing peripherally that you can address. It's literally in your brain. That's the good news and the bad news. So... I think there's a lot of situations like that, like maybe hallucinations, epilepsy, pain, some maybe paranoid thoughts, things like that, that may be helped by this re-normalizing of activity. And I think it's a really important area to look into. And I think some of the treatments that we use often, some of the mindfulness treatments, meditation and exercise and acupuncture, modalities like that can also help to kind of reset these mechanisms. And actually adenosine, I think, plays a key role in acupuncture as well and exercise, all of these things. So just going back to the keto diet, what do you think it is that's actually calming down the excitability of the central nervous system? Do you think it's more the ketone bodies or the fact that when you're on a ketogenic diet, your blood sugar is more stable? Well, I'll be honest, there's actually evidence for both. The research that I've done in my lab, I did with brain slices in dishes, and I did that without any ketone body supplementation. I just used low glucose approaches. 
and mobilized the mechanisms that I'm talking about. And people that did that with ketone bodies didn't find any change. But I think there's a key point is that in some of our research preparations that we use, for example, keeping brain slices in dishes, the protocols over the years sort of evolved that we supply those slices with a very high glucose environment to try and keep them going when they're out of their normal environment. And some of the work that my lab has done has shown that when you do that kind of standard higher glucose environment in the dish, you may be masking the ability for the ketogenic diet or ketone bodies to to promote these beneficial effects. So this is why it's been difficult to study because there's so many variables. I mean, it's just a complicated issue. So if you're saying you can get the effects with a low glucose environment, why do you need in a ketogenic diet to have high fat as well? Well, you can get epilepsy benefits as well with a low glycemic index diet. You don't have to be in ketosis. So I think that in itself is evidence that ketones may not be critical. However, you know, I'm really talking right now just about epilepsy because that's the disorder that we have the longest history and all of this, but epilepsy is not one thing. That's the other issue. Pain is not one thing. There could be a genetic component. There could be an injury component. There could be a exposure to toxins. There could be, you know, so many different causes for that symptom that we're trying to address, which is why saying what the mechanism is, is difficult when we're talking about such a grab bag. So what you're saying then is you think the ketone bodies might be important in other mechanisms. Right. Or in some specific pain conditions or epilepsy conditions or inflammatory conditions, maybe the ketone bodies are critical in that case. And in other cases, maybe just reducing and stabilizing glucose is enough to relieve those symptoms. I wanted to single out one ketone, for example, like better hydroxybutyrate that can block the immune system receptors linked to inflammation. So that one, for example, it can be more helpful in inflammatory chronic conditions, I think. And of course, it also helps decrease uh, nerve system activity. And you were talking about adenosine and that when it's increased, that can kind of act as a pain reliever, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like I think that's where kind of ketones can be more beneficial in inflammatory conditions. Yeah, and the benefit is, I mean, beta-hydroxybutyrate is a signaling molecule in and of itself. So that's an excellent point. So can you help our listeners understand how the ketogenic diet helps in fighting inflammation and pain and what sort of biochemical processes are connected to this? So that's a question that a few chapters in a book could be written about. But I just want to go back to the sort of multiple mechanism, whereas you're reducing inflammation, inflammation itself is something that can cause pain. So reducing the inflammation in general is itself a critical pan disorder benefit of the ketogenic diet. More specifically, if we increase adenosine in the central nervous system, that means the brain and the spinal cord. If the ketogenic diet is able to do that, that helps 
calm down the nerve cells directly so that they're not firing and sending that pain signal. If you have better metabolism, if your mitochondria are in good shape, that helps to clean up all the broken things and keep your cells functioning and able to recover at a cellular level. If we can reduce the pro-inflammatory cytokines, that is another sort of important mechanism. And I thought there was some really interesting work started during COVID. Could a ketogenic diet short circuit that cytokine storm that seemed to be what was really putting things on a downward spiral when people had COVID? And I think that, you know, in addition to trying to deal with chronic conditions, we need to think about using these metabolic approaches in targeted ways. So maybe before you have surgery, it might be important to kind of keep that mechanism tamped down a little bit. I think we haven't really explored the full opportunities for using it for these kind of targeted windows for different conditions. Can you tell us a bit about those targeted windows that you were mentioning? I think almost any situation where you know there's an inflammatory insult and there's a risk of a further chronic problem, that would be a time to really think about that. And that has not been a big topic of research, but I think it would be kind of a new way to think more about more targeted metabolic therapies and could help us learn more about mechanisms and other opportunities that we haven't thought about yet. So has anyone got any final comments they want to make? I just want to mention that two resources that I really trust on ketogenic diet are the Charlie Foundation in the United States and Matthew's Friends in the UK. And they both have really well vetted, medically appropriate resources and information. And there's actually a new society that just started called INCS, International Neurologic Ketogenic Society. And we're going to be putting a lot of information on that website and featuring special events. We have a big conference coming up in San Diego in September. And this is a very interdisciplinary problem, which is exciting, but gets back to my original point that it's the good news, bad news. There's no one thing, but that's the good news. So many possibilities for the future and really rich seams for research. Professor Susan Massino, Yasmin Sakai, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Hilary. It's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And many thanks to Shay for sharing his experiences of the diet. And of course, thank you for listening. You can read more about the keto diet and inflammatory pain conditions on medicalnewstoday.com. We'll be back in conversation at the end of March when we'll have our final deep dive about nutrition. See you then. I'm Dr. Hilary Geit, and this is a Hivis Radio production for Medical News Today.